0: Welcome to Tech Culture Interrupted, NCWIT's podcast on building more inclusive tech cultures that foster diverse participation. My name is Dr. Catherine Ashcraft. I'm the Director of Research here at NCWIT.
1: And my name is Dr. Brad McLean. I'm the Director of Corporate Research here at NCWIT. Today's episode is about the tech inclusion journey and how Dropbox has been using it.
0: And our special guest today is Danny Guillory, Head of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Dropbox. Hi, Danny.
2: Hi. Thanks so much for having me here today.
0: And Danny is piping in from San Francisco today, and Brad and I are in Boulder, Colorado.
1: And today, we're going to discuss how Danny and his team at Dropbox have been using NCWIT's Tech Inclusion Journey platform.
0: Yes, so the Tech Inclusion Journey is a new NCWIT approach to creating inclusive cultures in technology workplaces. And it's really based on about 15 years of our experience working with our industry partners And the lessons we've learned and the research we've conducted during that time, it brings that all together in this one kind of stop approach. And in particular, it's aimed at addressing or avoiding many of the pitfalls of past approaches to creating inclusive cultures. Danny,
1: you've been in DEI for a long time. What kind of approaches have you seen come down the pike and and which ones were more or less effective? It's interesting. So I've,
2: um, I've been on both sides of the aisle. I started out for about 20 years on the consulting side. Um, so, uh, through Innovations International, a company that my father founded and that I eventually ran, um, we consulted with companies around the world on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and then I went in-house at Autodesk for about four years and have been in-house now at Dropbox for about a year and a half. Um, I think what we saw to begin with was that people um, in a well-meaning way thought that if we were going to have an impact with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have to give people skills. Um, if, you look at, if you look at kind of a model of change, um, typically what I like to rest or use as a foundational kind of explanation is that my mindset drives my behavior, which drives my results, Most training that is out there is in that second box, which is behavior-based. And what I always say is that behavior change is necessary but not sufficient for long-term change. To change that results box really requires um, a change in mindset. Now, how do you get to a change in mindset? That's where having a strategy with clear accountability becomes essential because what that does is that that forces me to face the beliefs and attitudes that I may have that prevent me from doing something. So instead of behavior-based types of activities, do this, do that, do that, which can be helpful. It is developmental, just like you said. Um, That still doesn't necessarily, it can, but it doesn't necessarily push me um, in terms of my mindset. So to answer your question, what I've seen is the two essential elements of, of successful diversity efforts are one, Having a clear strategy with some accountability, but also wrapped around that, and I do honestly believe this, is a moral commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. A lot of people rest on the business case and trying to make a business case for diversity, but there's something that's intuitively difficult about that. Do I need to make a business case to have a workplace that should be equitable for me? It seems odd that there should be a business case for me as an African-American Whereas for everybody else, it's just that's how it's supposed to be. So for me, that's why I get the business case. I think it's important, but I think um, I, I think it can I think it has its place to, to have people understand the links to what we do. Um, but to really create change, there has to be a moral commitment. So I think the combination of a clear strategy with accountability and at some level a moral commitment are the two key foundational elements to have a successful effort in diversity.
0: Yeah, that's so. Great. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think so often the (laughs) business case is the one that gets talked about and highlighted in, and it's the one that sometimes people think is the one you have to make or the only one that will matter. Um, But we have found that often, yeah, that it is really important to make that moral or social justice kind of case and that that's actually what motivates people Often, um, even though they're theoretically bought in sometimes to the business case, um, it will always fall through the cracks because there are other things that are happening. But when they um, finally sort of really pay attention to or get the moral social justice case, then they are motivated to more action.
2: I was just going to say, Catherine, you said it. Perfectly there, because if you rely strictly on the business case, you're always jockeying versus other priorities. Mm-hmm. And today it's Six Sigma, tomorrow it's sales. Today it's a it's an it's a it's a product development cycle. And if you're jockeying all the time, then you could be the you could be the bell of the ball today, right. and then out tomorrow. Yes. And so that's why having that having that um, that moral commitment um, is what keeps it kind of front and center at all times. Sorry about that, Brad. You were about to say something. Oh,
1: well, I was going to ask you, the, um, you know, the mindset of having that moral case, of that imperative that that drives behavior. What have you seen to be the pathways that successfully lead to that, especially when someone doesn't come in with it to begin with? That's a great question. Um, ultimately, I think the way
2: transformation takes place is that if I have... it, it Because what we're really talking about is fundamental beliefs around superiority. It's that for whatever reason, I believe my way of thinking, my way of doing is superior to somebody else's, whether that's based on their gender, their ethnicity, um, their economic status, the school they went to, anything I might want to select. So if that's the case, and and most people in the workplace today don't necessarily actively think that, but at some level um, feel some superiority to somebody else based on some dimension of diversity, the way that I've seen most effective, the, the, the way that I've seen that's been most effective in terms of turning that corner is to actually have an experience with somebody who represents that dimension of diversity that invalidates my belief. So it would be if I believed that women were inferior leaders to actually then have a manager that is a woman. And now I'm in a position where there's a superordinate goal. I have to keep my job and get my paycheck. And to do that effectively, I'm going to have to overcome this belief. That's kind of the, the ultimate. So I think when you're placed into positions where there's a superordinate goal, that's more important than the belief, that's really kind of the ultimate. Now, You can also do it if somebody is kind of open and engaging in transformation. And that's what some learning experiences do for people. So I do think that training does have value. Um, I think there are a number of people who do get their minds opened in ways that they hadn't seen before and think about things in different ways. But any training has to be paired at the same time with real fundamental systemic change. So what I what I what I've taken issue with are a lot of articles that have come out that talk about diversity training not being effective. Well, just like with anything else, if all I did was do training and then nothing else afterwards, then it wouldn't make any difference. But I can tell you with any company that I've seen that's done six sigma, they have a whole system that goes with it, black belts, green belts, all sorts of systemic things and badges and awards and everything. So 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 it's the same thing with diversity training and education still play a role but and this is where um, this is where the tech inclusion journey comes into c- comes into play if, if there's a strategy and a structure to support what I've learned and hold me accountable, then we're in business and now we can actually start creating those experiences that force that personal transformation
1: It's almost it's almost like you were planned plant there because we're going to transition to the tech inclusion journey right now and explain to all the listeners exactly what it is, Um, and, and a little difficult because you can't see it. But of course, you can see it if you go to NCWIT website, and we call it the TIJ, Tech Inclusion Journey.
0: But before we do, I think just what he was saying there is just a perfect example of the different ways a solution can be effective. Diversity training, for instance, is not effective if it's a piecemeal checkbox solution and done in isolation, but if it is incorporated into a larger um, strategic plan that follows up on that training and operationalizes it, then it's a whole different situation.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the tech inclusion journey, I'll just describe it briefly is um, built on a journey metaphor, and it is an online platform. So it was a way for us to make the mountain of social science research that we rely on in diversity, equity, and inclusion work accessible, and not just accessible, but actionable, you know, in a very applied research kind of way. And so the idea is that you're going to take your team, your, your department, your division, on a journey from the culture you have to the culture you want to have, the culture you have today, to a more inclusive culture tomorrow. And so what do you need if you're gonna go on a journey? Three things. A map, which is the map of the landscape of inclusive culture construction. What do I need to pay attention to? What are the elements? What is the research? Uh, What is even the language behind that research that we can start to use and share? Building a common language is a big part of understanding the map. So step one of the tech inclusion journey is looking at and becoming familiar with that map, which is the research. Step two, we call the GPS. And the GPS is a global positioning system to locate your team on the map on that inclusive culture construction landscape. So say, where are we starting from on our journey? And so it's a quick set of surveys, you know, three or four questions each in eight different focus areas that tell us where we think we are. It's a perceptual survey. And we recommend that people on the team, the change leaders will take this and compare the results. One of the most important parts of the GPS is that everyone who takes it comes together for what we call the consensus conversation. And that's when they say, hey, Catherine, I got this. What did you get for that answer? Or what zone does the GPS tell us that we're in? And how come we don't agree? Because different people experience the same culture we find in very different ways. And sometimes that's very surprising to people when they take the tech inclusion journey to find out, oh, my God, I didn't realize that our culture was that way. It's not that way from my experience. And so it opens their eyes to other people's experiences of the culture and then force us to say, well, here's where we think we're starting from. And finally, when we come to that consensus, we're ready for step three. And, of course, step three is to plan your route. So you've got the map you know where you're starting from. Now we're going to plan the route to where we want to be tomorrow. And that is action planning. And like I said before, there's eight different focus areas. We can go through them in a little bit here, but you can't do all of them at once. It's too much. Most companies that we work with do two or three of the focus areas um, in the first year or first phase of their efforts. And then uh, collect the data, the appropriate data in those areas to find out if they're making progress. From there, they can make mid-course corrections, reprioritize, double their efforts the next year, whatever it may be. And so it's a perennial kind of tool. Now, embedded within the route, of course, are hundreds of different resources about how to take action, how to grab that research and apply it To all the things that you were just talking about, Danny, the mindset, the behavior change, the systemic practices, policies, procedures that are necessary um, to make cultural change. And not just for one group of people, but for everybody within that culture.
0: There are also several ways, I think, that people are intended to use the TIJ, right? Um, and so we have some people who are using it with uh, in tandem with other companies um, and learning together. And then we have people who are working closely with our social science team. But um, I think one of the things that's really interesting, Danny, with what you've done at Dropbox, is that it's more of a self-guided approach. And we really want the tool to be that kind of um, self-guided accessibility, that people can take it and use it and uh, adapt it to their own organization. So I think it's uh, really curious and interesting, the work that you've done with it in that fashion at Dropbox. And so I think one of the things that we are curious is just hearing, you know, you talk a little bit about um, how you assembled your team and the process you followed in getting started, that sort of thing
2: sure sure it's uh it's really been a, uh, a a great tool and something that I've really appreciated i think I think the first thing is to to put it to put things into context is that because diversity, equity, and inclusion are evolving and changing, and even though a number of us have been at it for a long time in the in the consciousness of of today's tech world, it may still be relatively new having a a foundation from which to uh, develop, a foundation or a framework from which to develop an approach or a strategy is really powerful. To be able to say, hey, there's a third party that has done extensive research and has identified these eight or nine areas that are the most essential um, to really creating transformation uh, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um to me that having that as a as a foundation to be able to share and back up and give credibility to our efforts is is really important. So so that's the first thing and, and one of the first things that I was really attracted to in using it. Um, the second thing that it does in terms of how we used it, and by the way, how we started using it, first of all, was it with, was within my own team. So my own diversity, equity, and inclusion team took it and we actually used it then kind of in two ways. The first way was as an audit. So because of what you're doing with the questions is evaluating where you are today in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the key areas, what's nice is that it gives you essentially a grade. Um, Now, what happened when we had the discussions and went through the facilitation process and the discovery process with it was that we found we had different perspectives and that discussion was really rich. Because the different perspectives were not only based on our points of view, but were also based on the information that we had. There were things that even though we're a team and we meet regularly and talk regularly, there were things that some people knew that other people didn't. And so it ended up being a a really, really rich discussion. We probably... The first time we did it, we did it over the course of two days, I think, um, about two kind of four-hour sessions each because we were learning so much about what other people knew. It was a relatively new team at that time. So the second thing that's really powerful about it is is giving, giving us a, a comprehensive audit in terms of where we are in a grade, in terms of where we are. The third thing that's nice is that from there, what we did was we added on actually a a different part to it so we took a design thinking exercise which is something that a lot of people do it's it's common which is um, kind of uh, assessing the the impact that working on some area will have and then what the lift is so how much time energy effort and resources will it require and then plotting things against each other so that nothing is on the same line and so as we looked at where we were in each area we then asked asked ourselves if we tried to move from one point on the journey to the next level, um, what would it take to do that? And what do we think the impact would be overall in the organization? So that provided a really, a really valuable exercise because as we know, you're going to, you know, we went through this, we said, this is great, but now we've got nine different areas where we have to to work on things. And even though we have a, a relatively sizable team, we can't, we can't do all this at once. So what, could we re- what should we really focus on that we think will have the most impact? And so that was also obviously a really valuable discussion. So doing all of those things um, was important. And then what it did is now we've been able to return to it because we used it again for our strategic planning. And then what we also did is even for the areas where we weren't going to necessarily focus, we've taken actually some of the different measures and embedded them into our company's engagement survey. So even if we're not focusing on one of the areas that are on the assessment, um, we're actually still measuring it and trying to get at it in other ways. Um, So that's how we started. There's another part of the story too that I'll tell you in just a moment, but um, let me see, uh, I've talked a lot here, so let let me see
0: what else you might
1: want to add here, Brad. Do you mind sharing which focus areas? Oh, that's you, what I was going to
0: ask. <laughs> yeah, you started. Oh, with-
2: yeah, so, so the first year, um, let's see here. So this year, we decided to focus on two areas. We decided to focus on managerial relationships and our relationship with recruiting. And that's for two. That that's really for one major reason. One of the things that's happened at Dropbox that we're really excited about is that we just announced um, about two, two about two or three weeks ago that um, that we will be a virtual first company. So what that means is that we will be basically 90% of the time virtual. We will have some studios where people will come for collaboration work, but most people will be working from... Remotely from their homes, um, we thought that was really important because it—it's kind of a statement about our product because our product is designed really to help people to do this work, and it's been obviously um, brought to a different level of attention with with the pandemic, um, and so and so we thought it was important to live that out, um, and so the reason why I talk about managerial relationships is that I have a personal belief that um, that the manager in a virtual first workplace is is so much more the manager is always important in terms of my experience. but I think that goes up about tenfold in a virtual experience in a virtual workplace because because the manager is my main anchor to 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 what to the culture of the organization, to what's going on with other people and other teams, to networking, to putting me up front for different opportunities. I can't run into somebody in the hallway and find out about things. I can't happen by an event that I happen to see in the cafeteria. Um, those things don't happen. Everything has to be deliberate. And so one of the areas for us that we thought, both from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint as well as, um, as, well as from just a standpoint from, from, uh, in terms of where our company is going was, was the, the competency, and, competency and skill of managers and having discussions and the work really take place at the manager and team level now. Okay? So that's one area we decided to focus on this year. The other area that we decided to focus on was our link with recruiting. And there are some different points, obviously, that you have um, in the tech inclusion journey that, that, that are talked about specifically with respect to recruiting. But for us, it's also changed our model. Because we're moving to a virtual-first workplace, now we're not recruiting talent, at least when we're talking about the U.S., talent only from New York, San Francisco, Seattle, and Austin. Now we're looking nationwide and so that's going to require some significant change management in terms of how we do that work and what the mindset is that our managers have um do our managers believe that they can get the same level of talent in charlotte as they can in 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 san francisco and if i come from nation if i come from b of a in north carolina and i'm in their uh, i'm in their technology division Will you still think that that's as credible as my experience as somebody else's experience at Facebook in San Francisco? So there's some significant change management that we have to undergo in partnership with our recruiting team um to really um to really expand our footprint and, and and our mindset in terms of how we think about recruiting so those are the two areas that we decided to focus on this year uh, because or this coming year in 2021 specifically because we think they'll have significant impact and because they're really aligned with some of the some of the change management that we're doing uh, company
1: wide yeah and that's your design thinking in action right there hmm.
0: And I was curious how, um, because I think sometimes people use the tech inclusion journey with specific teams and uh, technical teams. And I think you uh, expanded it out beyond the technical uh, organization, right? And I think you used it more broadly,
2: yeah, so what we did. It's a great question, Catherine. What we did was a little bit different than some of the some of the other um, NC partners have done. Um, I'm excited mm-hmm. about what they've done, and I'm. Uh, but what we did was a little bit different. So the first thing, as I mentioned, was we used it as our own our own team strategic planning tool, which was really powerful. But the second thing that we've started to do is now we're using it um, with respect to our key partners in areas. What our role is, is to influence other functions to try and integrate diversity, equity, and inclusion into what they do. And this is a great tool to facilitate those discussions. And what's nice, again, this is where that third party, that's where that, this is where that third party, um, the power of a third party kind of in the room with you, even though they're not there physically, they're there through the tool makes a difference because it's not me telling you the things that you should do around diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is the tool, okay? So let's have a discussion about the tool and what it says. And that's different because it's like having an authority from an esteemed university in the room. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, one other thing that I want to mention that I think is really important about about the GPS is that um, like any good, um, any good thing that's online, it has levels. (laughs) Ah. So you can, you can level, you can level, you can level up, but what's really important about the levels and it's, this is a subtle difference, but uh, I mean, a subtle thing, but it's really important is that it shows you zero and 60, but it also shows you 10, 20, 30, and 40, because a lot of people, when they get into this work, want to go from zero to 60, yeah. but don't know about the foundational work that needs to be done. And so year over year to tell, to talk to a team and say, hey, what we're trying to do is just get to this next level. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be here yet. Okay? So having that, first of all, I think is is really important. I wanted to underline that because it then, for for us in terms of credibility as diversity people and delivering on things, sometimes we could have, executives who um, who want things to move really fast, oh, which yeah. is great. but but it gives us an ability to say, well, Okay, I know you want to be at Nirvana, but let me show you the steps that are involved in terms <laughs> yeah. of getting to Nirvana. And and what I'd like to do is is just get is just get a few steps on the on that path to Nirvana, okay? Um and and let me tell you what's involved and the resources involved. So it really helps those discussions in terms of tempering expectations from uh, that, that other people may have. And so far we've done it twice we've done it with our learning and organizational development group and we've also done it with our um with our talent management organization the next one that we're going to be doing with is our people analytics group now one thing i do need to say is that um, i'm really fortunate at dropbox because the teams actually when we did it with one we invited one and they did it and really got a lot out of it. And other groups heard about it and started proactively coming to us to do it with us. So um, so I can, I can say that I've been, I've been really fortunate to have great partners, but that's how um, we found it to be, to be really, really useful also in terms of facilitating discussions with other organizations. Because again, th- that, that's what we really do in diversity. What we try to do is influence because the functions are usually owned by somebody
1: else. Yeah, that's like the osmosis model of scaling it, you know. But and I, I was going to ask you about that. Um, what have been some of the challenges or pushback um, to using the Tech Inclusion Journey as a platform, if if you've noticed any? And, and has scale up been part of that list? Um, we haven't really had um, any pushback.
2: I think the main challenge is is really narrowing down and selecting because. There's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So you can choose a lot. I mean, you can choose a lot of different things. So the first year, I I will tell you, so the first year we did it, you asked me about the areas that we chose, and I just shared with you what we chose for 2021. Um, What we chose for 2020 was um, the one of the biggest areas we focused on was leadership commitment. And that was something where I can say we made – significant progress and what was interesting was that it wasn't that the leadership wasn't committed it was that we as a team weren't doing a great job of shepherding them along um and and so this tool i think brought that out and 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 into into focus in a different way and and really helped us and i think we made significant progress this year on 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 that i'm really I'm really happy in terms of how we've related to them and how we've involved them in different things. Um, And so for me, as I think about using it, um, really, it's it's really about selecting where and how you want to make impact because there are just a lot of different things that you can do. One other thing that I'll mention, by the way, is that there are some that, that we focus on kind of from a team-wide strategic standpoint but then there are others that we just integrate into what we do. So for example, the 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 um the the element that focuses on data transparency is one where we didn't make it an initiative but it's just something that we do and embed into everything that we do. So so I think there are lots of ways that you'll be able to use things. But I think the biggest challenge is just where to start. And that's that's where you, you have to do some work to narrow down what's really important to you. And what you do if you've done design thinking exercises like this is if you have a matrix with on, one, with on like one axis um, lift and another axis um, impact, when you do it, what you do is you put one against the other and you make sure that none ever end up on the same line. So you force yourself to have the discussion, you do them relative to each other. So uh-huh. you put one up to begin with, and then the next one you put up and say, okay, more or less lift and then more or less impact. And then and eventually you have all nine of them in different places on different, n- none of them on the same line and you can see where things have fallen. And for us, um,
1: it's it's become just a regular
2: way that that we do things and really helpful for
1: us in our planning. Now, when you mentioned that some other teams are starting to use it, came to you and said, "Hey, how can we get involved in this?" And how did you emphasize to them that you might be using the same tool, you might be taking a journey, but your destination, your starting place, may be very different. Your destination, you know, the idea that different teams have different microcultures that define them and so wielding the tech inclusion journey tool might look very different in those different teams did they get that um yeah i don't think i don't think they were really focused on
2: on in my experience at least with the groups that we've done it with i don't think they were focused on 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 how they landed somewhere versus somebody else. So for, for us in the discussions, I I, I can tell you the, 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 the the grade, um, the grade is it's, it's nice, but it's been less important as kind of a discussion point. I don't think most of the groups that I interacted with didn't take it kind of comparatively or anything like Mm. that. They were more focused on this is where we are and, and, and we'd like to take the next step and, and that's it. And, and it's, it's not, not comparative to anybody else. So we personally, in terms of our experience with the groups that we've facilitated through it, haven't run
1: into that that's yet. That's great. Yeah, that's great. That means they're using it independently. Yeah. yeah. And uh, not asking, well, what did you prioritize? And should we do that? Instead, they're taking it as their own journey.
0: And so actually, that I was curious who who uh, not uh, like what kinds of roles uh, were assembled on your first your initial change leader team that set out and the take the assessment? Well,
2: the first, yeah, the first time we did it, it was just our team. So it was just my team using it as our strategic planning tool. So the diversity equity and inclusion team. Uh-huh. Uh, what that right. consists of okay. at Dropbox is i have I have two people who are diversity business partners. I have one person who is an employee resource group manager. Um, I have another person who drives our um, who leads our um, our internal programs. So when we're doing training or um, we have we have something that's the equivalent of kind of a high potential development program. Uh, for more junior employees, um, she drives that. Um, we have somebody else who's our external programs manager. So all of our partnerships or the different types of recruiting conferences that we go to. Um, there's also somebody on my team who is a change management person. So um, with all of the efforts that that well, I guess having been in this work for so long, um, I am I'm less. I can just say from my perspective, I'm less interested in activity and more interested in a result. Um, and so having somebody who's thinking about how do we get to the result um, is, is, is and what are the different levers that we have to get that result whenever we're whenever we're doing anything programmatically is essential. And so that's why I created that role on my team. That's called a diversity engagement manager. And then there's somebody on my team, the last person is somebody who is um, strategy and operations on on the team. So she basically is constantly living in the data um, and, and mapping different trends that we need to think about as well as, um, as well as keeping us honest with respect to our own, um, our own objectives and key responsibilities, what we call OKRs and what many people call OKRs. Um, and so it was that group that was assembled to begin with. And then as we, um, as we started to become more mature with it, as I said, we're starting to do it with our, with our partner organizations. And even if we don't you, even if we don't go through a facilitated session with our partner organization, we still use it as we socialize our strategies with them. So I, I need to do it with recruiting at some point. We haven't yet. But I can tell you that the strategy that we've socialized with them is very much a result of what we took away from the assessment that we did.
1: The tech inclusion journey assessment. Exactly.
0: And that's a good uh, segue because you mentioned the uh, activity, you're interested not so much in activity, but in results. And um, I think we often get asked, right, uh, when we're working with organizations, how will we know this is working or what does success look like? And uh, so how have you defined that or how have you approached that question at Dropbox?
2: Sure, so at Dropbox, um, we have, so so there are a couple of different kind of high-level things that we track. The first is that we have, so Dropbox has a few company goals overall. So there are some very clear kind of Traditional business metrics that they have, and one company goal that we have is we look at all of our data and where we stand at the end of the year, and create um, and create a company wide a company wide um, um, aspiration for representation of women and underrepresented minorities at the mid at the basically junior manager level and above. So we have a company wide goal um, where we track that. Okay. And what we look at constantly and monitor on a regular basis are the three levers related to that. So one lever is recruiting, obviously, who we hire. Um, a second lever is retention. Okay, So what, at what rate are people leaving relative to other groups? Um, and then the third is promotion and advancement. So are we promoting and advancing people equitably? So those are our company-wide goals. What we've done with those is using, again, some other NCWIT tools. So one of the things that's amazing to me is all the open-sourced, research-based tools that NCWIT has. So the three things that I that I mentioned were, one, hire a diverse team. And so we're mapping that to some extent already. The second is to promote and advance people equitably. Okay? We're tracking that already to some extent. And the third is to engage in personal growth. Those are the three things. So there are a couple things that we did. The first thing is... Um, is how do you do those things? So what we did was we created a set of toolkits, and what we used, frankly, for a lot of those toolkits is open source material related to those themes from NCWIT. So, for example, one tool that we've integrated into one of the toolkits is the um, is the NCWIT um, is, is the NCWIT item that's on task assignment and analyzing how you make your ta- how you how you give out tasks as a manager. Um, so that's just one example. There are a number of different items that we selected that we felt like fit with the themes that we were trying to get across and the things that we wanted to make sure were addressed. And so we created toolkits related to those. Then what we did when you get back to the original question, which was what are you measuring? There are a set of items um, that we measure that are representative of of those, so with respect to hiring a diverse team, we use a modified form of the Rooney Rule um, for um, advance and develop equitably. Where we're tracking our 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 goal around around promotion and advancement is within certain percentage points because it's not always going to be perfect um, just based on people and and timing and things like that. But based on certain percentage points, trying to have people. Be different groups be relatively close um, in terms of their promotion and advancement rates within the company. Um, in terms of in terms of engaging in personal growth, what we've been tracking, even though for me it's it's imperfect, but I feel like it's the it's the best that we can do right now is we've been counting. Um, we, we have a number of different um, training tracks that we ask people to take. So we have, for example, a workshop. So, the, so when people come to Dropbox, the first thing is that there's an introductory module that they all take on diversity, equity, and inclusion just to start out. So it's part of onboarding. Then after that, everybody is expected to take a two-hour workshop on what we call diversity, equity, and inclusion fundamentals, where they learn a lot about unconscious bias and also learn about some of the key elements in our strategy. So those three, what we call diversity commitments. So those three items that I just mentioned to you, hire a diverse team, advance and develop equitably, and engage in personal growth are what we call our diversity commitments. Okay, so um, so they learn about those there. Then, if you're a manager, you're expected to take inclusive leadership. Um, and what we're also going to be now adding to um, as a new training that will be done at the team-based level next year will be an actual training on those toolkits. So actually walking people through those specific toolkits. Now, in terms of what we're measuring then, we're measuring people's participation in each of the business units has objectives for participation in each one of those workshops. So that's what we're using to track um, track engaging and personal growth. And so those are all scorecards that each CEO staff member has and is looking at on a regular basis and working with our diversity business partners to try and execute
1: upon. Coming back full circle to what you mentioned at the very beginning is mindset and knowing that the tech inclusion journey was created for the purpose of changing culture in a fundamental way, not just behavior, and certainly not a recipe for doing so, but a journey that each each team has to forge on their own. How is it that we can capture culture change as a metric in and of itself? Certainly headcounts and representational data, even disaggregated, is important, but we always talk about it as the beginning, not the end of measuring and, and describing progress. When you think about Culture change in terms of mindset and changing people's mindsets. How do you know when you started to do that? When you succeeded in doing it? That's a that's a that's a that's a that's a tough one. So I, <laughs> that's
2: why I say it for last. <laughs> so first of all, I think there, in addition to kind of, in addition to kind of headcount measures, as you mentioned, we can do sentiment measures and disaggregate those, of course, by um by by different groups by different subgroups. So. Whatever I do on my engagement survey, looking at the gaps between different groups is is really helpful. I know for us, for example, we ask two two of the questions that we ask. And by the way, um, I think it's really – most people know this already, but um, every question on an engagement survey is potentially – a diversity question. It doesn't have to have the word diversity in it. It's just how you cut the data and and how different groups respond to it, and if they respond differently based on who they are. So even if it's a question that has apparently nothing related to diversity, anything has that potential. But I will say that two of our more direct questions about inclusion that I think are really interesting are one we ask um, we ask one we ha- we have one statement that says that talks about whether or not um, how how I as a manager believe, um, how inclusive I believe I am. And then we have a complementary question that asks how inclusive I believe my manager is, okay? So what's great is that then we're able to look and see what the gap is between different groups (laughs) and see what their perception is, okay? Um, And it was interesting because there were some groups where managers, there were some parts of the world where managers far exceeded their employees' expectations and their employees rated them higher than they rated themselves, and there were others where it was the reverse, and we've got some work to do. Um, so, um, so, the, so I think sentiment measures can be really valuable and helpful if you if you use those questions effectively. Um, I ultimately think that you start to see it in terms of the results that people produce. So, the so the so the people that I see who um, who really operate with a mindset um, that. I think is 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 really proactive with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Somehow, by coincidence, happen to have some of the most diverse teams um, across a variety of different dimensions. Um, happen to be pretty high performing teams. Um, happen to have people who want to stay. So, I think it's traditional measures that you can that you can look at. I think that's still ultimately. I think I can talk about all these other things. But the bottom line is, am I still hiring and developing a wide range of people? And if I'm doing that, then I probably have that mindset. If I'm not, then I probably am ascribing or subscribing to a mindset that my way is still superior to others. And so I'm looking for people, even though they may not physically look like me, map to me in some way, shape or form.
1: So, uh, you know, if, if somebody else is out there listening and thinking about bringing the tech inclusion journey in and using it with their teams, um, given your tech inclusion journey so far, what would be your recommendations for getting started and making sure it's set up for success?
2: Sure. Um, so um, if, if I were somebody doing it for the first time, the first thing I would do is, is take it myself okay take it myself and go through everything i'm always a big believer before testing anything out on on anybody else um doing it yourself so that's the first thing um the second thing that i think could be valuable is um is is to perhaps and i don't know if you have um kind of some of the journeys or case studies memorialized i think if there's any if there's any way for people to access those presentations and some of the things that 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 people and if not access presentations asynchronously talk with some of the people because that's where I got a lot of ideas.
0: This is a little bit of a departure, but I think I'm also curious because uh, we do emphasize this journey metaphor quite a bit um, and sometimes it's well it's intended right to make the social science more accessible and to make it the sort of approach and process more accessible and understandable and I guess we're curious to what extent that works or doesn't work or is does it resonate central or not central to the approach <laughs> the
2: the, um, the the metaphor of a journey being central to the approach is that what you're yeah. is that what you're asking
0: yeah to what extent yeah. that's helpful does that what? work yeah
2: <laughs> I mean that's what I think um, that's what I think diversity equity and inclusion is. Overall, So even I, I think whether we're talking about the tech inclusion journey or we're talking about anybody kind of anybody guiding or leading an effort around diversity, equity, and inclusion, it, it, it is um, it is a journey. You're pushing um, transformation. It's pushing transformation and also being engaging with people in a way that is um, that is not um, that's not about evaluating and judging somebody and somebody being wrong because they may disagree with you. Um, you know, the way I always, uh, think, think about if, if, any, if any of the people listening um, have children, the immediate way to make sure that a child, to make sure that a child doesn't do something is to ask them or tell them they have to do it, okay? That, that's an easy way to make sure that it won't happen. And all we are is big children. OK, so um, so as we as we think about as we think about kind of transformation, we have to understand that we're that we're taking people on a journey. And so that's why that metaphor is really important. And we're taking them on a journey that they didn't expect and where they're going to have to face something that may not be pretty about themselves. OK, this isn't the kind of stuff you write home and that you're proud about, and that you're happy about okay, necessarily. It's what's called, um, and this is not a term that I invented, I forget where the term came from, but it's emotion negative facilitation. So there's emotion positive facilitation, which is where you come in and you get people psyched up and everything. But emotion negative facilitation is when I'm taking you on a journey and you're going to see some things about yourself that may not be um, may not be pretty. They may not be things that I'm proud of because if I'm learning about biases that I've had, the way that I've maybe impacted other people, that's 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 not fun. But at the same time, we're asked to deliver that and deliver it with a smile where you want to come back and do it. Um, so I think so I think the the metaphor of a journey is really powerful because um, not only is that what we're on as professionals, but that's what we're taking people on as they experience um, processes related to diversity and inclusion.
1: Jeez, listening to you describe that, Danny, I think, Catherine, we might need to change it now even to a pilgrimage, because it is <laughs> it is a journey that changes you. By the time you end at the end of the journey, yeah. you're not the same person, right. and you're not the same team, you're not the same culture, hopefully, yeah, as yeah. You, you started. And so it's a, in the truest traditional sense of pilgrimage.
0: And I think that's one of the things we actually hope that the journey metaphor highlights is because I think there is such a tendency that we notice even when we start working with organizations using this approach, right, is to like, just tell us the things to do and just give us, you know, the five steps. And uh, that doesn't really get at the journey so much as uh, like the internal change and the way of thinking and talking and the mindset that you referred to earlier.
2: Yeah. I'll give you another example of that. Something separate is that we, um, so in response to, um, what happened in, in June of 2020 with respect to George Floyd and others, um, there were a lot of people within our organization at Dropbox who said, hey, we want to, we want to do something. You know, we really want to act. We want to do something. And, and, you know, there were things that we did. There were donations that were made and things that we did on, on media and commitments that we made. Um, but one of the things from an action standpoint that for my team and I that was really important was to say, hey, let's take a step back for a second. And, and if we really want this to be meaningful um, and not something that we talk about in a two-hour in a, in a two news cycle and then it's forgotten about later, um, it's really important for us to go through the work of, of understanding what the experience has really been of blacks in America and how we got here. And so what we did, and I, I'm just still amazed that, um, that we got the kind of support from Dropbox to be able to do this, was we created a, basically a, a six-month experience where we have had speakers about every week or every other week, a variety of speakers, poets, um, artists, different people who have talked about um, key topics. So we chose things like the relationship that blacks have with the police. We talked about legislation and policy and how it's inter- inter- how it's impacted the black community over time. Um, we talked about um, education, um, we talked about health disparities, um, and we're completing it with a set of workshops so that people can think about how they may want to take action individually or collectively with others, and whether that's internal within the company or if it's even external. Um, and and it goes again to that point of a journey. A lot of people, when we do this work, say, tell me what to do. They go to the behavior box. Um, and again, behavior change is necessary, but not sufficient. And so to have something meaningful along the way that also brings my mindset along so that those behaviors play out in a way that's impactful long-term, I think, is, is essential. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely key. And it goes to uh, because if you just have those five behaviors that you do, uh, and then that's it, right? Like you want to carry that forward into that mindset into analyzing and questioning everything that you do and discovering new things to do differently. So I think that brings us to the end of today's podcast. To learn more about building more inclusive cultures in tech, check out our Tech Inclusion Journey online platform. We, as you can tell, have designed the powerful tool for change leaders like you.
1: And be sure to check out our other podcast episodes on inclusive culture construction wherever podcasts are found or through our website at the National Center for Women NIT, IT, which is ncwit.org.
0: And a big thank you to Danny Guillory from Dropbox for being our special guest today. And also to Coop Studios, uh, Taylor Marvin, our sound engineer, Aaron Lasko and Eric Singer, producers, and Daniel Sproul, who has created our theme music.
1: We'd also like to thank our remote studio, or Outpost Studios, in fact. Outpost Studios in San Francisco with the sound engineer there, Jim Lively. Thank you very much. And from NC Witt... Uh, Lucy Sanders, our CEO, and Terry Hogan, our CTO and president, who have helped make this podcast possible. And Adrian Bradbury and Sierra Kelly, our crack communication team, who also designed our logo.
0: And also to you, our listeners and change leaders. Until next time.